This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jangda. If you enjoy and benefit from listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free with you and your donation ensures that we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has tens of thousands of listeners. So the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting this effort is endless, inshallah. You never know who will be able to benefit from your contributions and donations. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratun Nabawiyyad, the prophetic biography. So in the last few sessions, we've been talking about the visit to Medina um, by the different delegations. And overall, we've been talking about the ninth year of Hijrah, the ninth year of the Prophet's residence in the city of Medina, which is of course uh, documented and remembered as Amul Wufud, which means the year of the delegations. So this was a particular year in many, many, in which many, many delegations they came. Some were smaller groups, sometimes an individual came, but still that individual came as a representative of his people, and sometimes larger groups came. Um, and they came, they interacted with the Prophet ﷺ. And as I mentioned previously, the vast overwhelming majority of these interactions were very, very positive, good interactions. Um, there were a couple of negative uh, incidents. Um, we particularly talked about how there was a very troublesome, a very problematic individual, Musaylama, the man who falsely claimed prophethood. He had come to Medina and interacted with the Prophet ﷺ. So we've been talking about these different delegations. And as I mentioned, my effort here is to not necessarily just go on and on and on listing out the delegations, but I've chosen and selected some of the more, more notable delegations that came um, and are notable for a number of reasons. Number one, either these were major delegations that resulted in major tribes coming to Islam, embracing Islam, becoming Muslim, or number two, some, what also makes many of these uh, delegations quite notable is the, are the experiences, the interactions that occurred. Some were very positive, very beautiful interactions. And some of those interactions were a little bit more, um, you know, contentious and were difficult interactions. But nevertheless, one thing we always try to do is pick out the lessons that we can take, that we can learn from each uh, particular each subsequent interaction. So today we're going to be talking about, inshallah, or at least we, uh, the intention is to talk about two delegations, two interactions. I'll talk about the negative one first, and then we'll talk about the positive one. The negative interaction that I'd like to start off by talking about was a delegation of the people known as Banu Amir. And Banu Amir, this was a, a tribe that had sent three people to come and to talk to and to meet with the Prophet ﷺ. The three people that they sent were Amir bin At-Tufail, Arbad ibn Qais, 
And there was a third individual that some of the narrations mention, whose name is said to be Jabir bin Sulma. But the most notable, the interaction or the event is going to mainly revolve around two individuals. Amir bin At-Tufayl and Arbad ibn Qais. And this is a very fascinating interaction. So when Amir bin Tufayl and Arbad ibn Qais, they were sent by their people, their people told them. Their people really um, you know, exhorted them. They really emphasized to them. They said that, look, um, they said that, إِنَّ النَّاسَ قَدْ أَسْلَمُوا فَأَسْلِمُ Look, people are embracing Islam. People are coming to Islam. We do not have any real valid reason to oppose Islam. We don't have any objection, any contention, any issues, any problems. So when you go there, become Muslim, and then bring the message back to us so that we may also embrace a religion. However, these two individuals that we're talking about, Amir bin At-Tufayl and Arbad bin Qais, these were very problematic individuals. The Ibn Ishaq actually notes in his narration that while they were the leaders of their people, كَانَ هَؤُلَاءِ الثَّلَاثَةِ رُؤَسَاءَ الْقَوْمِ وَشَيَاطِينَهُمْ While they were the leaders of their people, they were actually known as being problematic people as well. That's the problem. And Amir bin At-Tufayl particularly, he had his own ambitions and aspirations. He had ambitions of his own to be a great leader of Arabia one day. So he actually said, وَاللَّهِ لَقَدْ كُنْتُ آلَيْتُ أَلَّا أَنْتَهِ حَتَّى He said that I took an oath, I made this intention a long time ago, I've had these ambitions for quite some time, that I will continue to work and to strive and to try to, you know, make you know, my connections and build my network until I can become a leader of the Arab people. I have ambitions of being a great leader amongst the Arabs. And you want me to go and follow some random guy from Quraysh? He actually spoke quite disrespectfully about the Prophet So the narration goes on to say that when they um, came near, uh, when they got near uh, Medina Munawwara, this individual, Amir bin At-Tufayl, he told his buddy Arbad bin Qais who was traveling with him, um, he told him that Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah has a narration in which he details this. He told him that, look, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to single out the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam by himself. I'm gonna try to get him by himself. And when I do that, then I want you, like I'm gonna try to get him a little bit isolated from his people. And when I do that, I'm going to draw his attention completely to myself. And at that time, I need you to strike. I want you to kill him. So they went in with this particular plan. He first went to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Khalani, which basically uh, in that kind of Arabic uh, lingo, it basically meant that I want you to meet with me separately. I want you to meet with me separately. The Prophet ﷺ said, La, he said, no, I cannot meet with you separately. 
um, unless and until you embrace Islam, you become Muslim. And then I can meet with you separately. Look, and, and what the Prophet ﷺ basically was saying, because again, some people have the question that I thought somebody should only embrace Islam of their own free volition. They should willingly embrace Islam. Right? But what the Prophet ﷺ was actually saying, if you understand it, the Prophet ﷺ was saying that, look, you're an outsider. We've never met each other before. I don't know who you are, where you're coming from, what you're about, what you want to do what your intentions are, I have no idea. But if you live, if you stay here for a few days, you embrace Islam, you become part of the community, we get to know each other, then I have no problem with having a private meeting with you. But until then, you gotta understand, that'd be foolishness. It's like somebody just walks up to you in the street and says, hey, can I talk to you in the alley? Right, a lot of times when people read these narrations, they're like, oh, why didn't the Prophet ﷺ meet with him? Maybe he wanted to ask him a personal question. Well, we can talk a little bit here off to the side, and you can kind of tell me your question in my ear. You can whisper your question to me if it's private. But think about it in practical terms. It doesn't matter who you are. You're walking down the street, some random person you've never met before walks up to you and says, hey, I need to talk to you. Okay, what would you like? Well, what do you need? No, 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 I need to talk to you in that alley, in that dark alley over there. Okay, let's go. Islam, right? No, that's, that's nonsense, right? That's not logical at all. Who would do that? So you would say, no, actually, sir, I've never met you before. I don't know who you are. If you need to talk to me, you can talk to me right here. Okay? So the Prophet ﷺ said, talk to me right here, brother. I'm here. I, you got my eyes, my ears, you have my full attention. What would you like to talk about? And he kept insisting. He kept khalani, khalani, khalani. Meet me, talk to me alone. I need to talk to you alone. I need to meet you exclusively in private. And the Prophet ﷺ kept telling him, I'm sorry, that's not how this works. So then he said, okay. And he started talking to the Prophet ﷺ. And he completely drew the attention of this individual uh, the, the, this individual completely drew the attention of the Prophet ﷺ to him. Now there's a couple of narrations. One says that once he drew the attention of the Prophet ﷺ, he looked around and nobody else, it was in public, it was like in the masjid. So there were people around, but nobody was sitting really, really close, like right there. So he drew the attention of the Prophet ﷺ to him by asking him a bunch of questions. And then he started looking at his buddy, Arban. He glanced at him from the corner of his eye, which was the signal. I need you to move in and strike. And there are two narrations. Wallahu ta'ala alam as to which exact narration. But there are two narrations. One narration says that he kind of put his hand on the, the handle of his sword, but he didn't draw his weapon. And one narration mentions that he could not draw his weapon. He said that his hand felt like it just became like heavy, or it stiffened up where he couldn't actually pull the sword out. And that's again a miracle, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protecting the Prophet ﷺ. In another narration, when he afterwards confronted his buddy, and he's like, what's your deal? Why didn't you strike? I, we, I set it up perfectly. And I thought, I told you what to do. And he says that, what do you mean? What do you want me to do? Um, you know, what do you want from me? And he goes on to like try to, he starts belittling his companion who didn't strike. And he says, you know, there was nobody I used to fear except for you. You were the only guy who I was afraid to fight. 
right? Because I knew that you were a very fierce warrior. But now today I realize that you're just a coward. You're nothing. And then they start arguing and fighting. And he says, how dare you speak to me like that? And he goes, well, you didn't do anything. And he says, what are you talking about? There was nobody there. Did you want me to come and attack you? He says, no, I was sitting in front of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He goes, I was looking there. That's why I was holding my sword. And I was looking at why, are you, why do you keep glancing at me? What do, who do you want me to attack? There's nobody sitting in front of you. So that's another narration. And it's possible that both occurred. But... This narration basically is saying that again, miraculously, Allah protected the Prophet ﷺ by shielding the Prophet ﷺ from the eyes of this individual. And we know about incidents like this that happened previously. Surah Yasin, وَجَعَلْنَا مِن بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ سَدًّا وَمِن خَلْفِهِمْ سَدًّا Right? When the Prophet ﷺ left his home on the night of Hijrah, and his home was surrounded by the enemy trying to assassinate him, and the Prophet ﷺ picked up the dust and he said, وَجَعَلْنَا مِن بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ سَدًّا وَمِن خَلْفِهِمْ سَدًّا how none of them saw the Prophet ﷺ walk out of his home and walk right through them and nobody even saw the Prophet ﷺ. So in either scenario, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala miraculously provided that protection for the Prophet ﷺ. However, going back to the conversation, so he's glancing at him and the man is not striking. So nevertheless, Amid bin Tufail, he continues his conversation with the Prophet ﷺ and at that particular time, he says, okay, how about this? He said, I have three options for you. He tells the Prophet ﷺ, I have three options for you. Okay? What are the three options? He says, number one, يَكُونُ لَكَ أَهْلُ السَّهْلِ وَيَكُونُ لِي أَهْلُ الْوَبَرِ He says, how about this? We divide this kingdom that you are building. Okay? I will rule over Ahlul Wabar, which basically means the Bedouins, the people who live in tents. I will rule the Bedouins and Ahlu Sahli. Sahl basically refers to like the cities, the towns. You rule the towns, I'll rule the, city, the, the villages, the, the, the Bedouins. And the Prophet wasallam said, no. He, he, he says, no, that's not going to happen. So he says, okay, number two. Okay, then how about this? You continue to rule everything. Once you die, you surrender everything to me. Like you leave me in charge and I will succeed you. I shall be your successor. And I will rule this kingdom that you are building. And the Prophet ﷺ actually says to him, he goes, that that's not mine to just give to whomsoever I will. That's the will of God. That's not how this works. So no. Then he says the third thing, O أَغْزُوكَ غَطْفَانِ بِأَلْفِ أَشْقَرْ وَأَلْفِ he goes, okay, fine. If you're not going to do that, then I'm going to go up to Ghatfan. Ghatfan was northern Arabia, the Christian Arab tribes of Ghatfan. He said, I will go there and I will amass an army of over, uh, of thousands and thousands of soldiers and animals. I will amass an army and then I will come back and fight you and attack you. The Prophet ﷺ says, you do what you have to do. This conversation's over. So then he says, then what do you offer? What do you offer? What do you have to offer? The Prophet ﷺ says to him, لَكَ مَا لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ What I offer you is what I offer everyone who submits before Allah and everyone who becomes a Muslim. And he says, what is that? The Prophet ﷺ says, You will get the benefits that all Muslims receive and you will have the obligations that all Muslims have. And so then he finally the Prophet ﷺ says this conversation's over and he gets up and he starts walking away from him.
from this man, Amir bin At-Tufail. The Prophet starts walking away. While the Prophet is walking away, he shouts to the Prophet He says to him, "Ama wallahi la amla anha warijala." He says, "Listen, you turn your back on me, I will flood your city with uh, cavalry and soldiers, horses and men." I will flood the city with horses and men. I will come with an army that will run you over. And the Prophet ﷺ, without turning around, he just says, Allah. God shall prevent you from doing so. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. I have Allah on my side. At this point in time, the Prophet ﷺ, when the narrations mentions that the Prophet ﷺ does make dua, and he says, and he says in that dua, he says, Allahumma kfini amiran. Oh Allah, you take care of Amir. This man, Amir bin Tufayl, he comes to Medina, he threatens me, he threatens the Muslims, he threatens Medina. Allahumma kfini bi Amir. Oh Allah, you take care of him. Okay? Now again, some people basically would say, oh, the Prophet is praying against him. Think about what the Prophet is doing. This man comes to Medina, confronts the Prophet ﷺ, threatens the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims, and the Prophet ﷺ, instead of you know, carrying out you know, some aggression against him, the Prophet ﷺ turns away from him, walks away, says, God will prevent you from do, doing any harm to Medina or the Muslims. And he says, Wallah, Wallah, you deal with him. Wahjurhum hajaran. Allah says, let me deal with them. So He says, oh Allah, you deal with them. But look at the mercy of the heart of the Prophet ﷺ. He says, Allahumma kfini bi amirin wahdi qawmahu. Oh Allah, but His people that He claims to represent, He does not speak on behalf of those people. Oh Allah, you guide those people. You deal with Him and guide the people. And that tribe of Ibn Amir would eventually become Muslim, would accept Islam. So the Prophet says, Oh Allah, you deal with him and you guide his people. Now what ends up happening, the story isn't completely over. It's actually quite astounding. These two individuals, uh, Amir bin At-Tufayl and Irbad ibn Qais. Okay? Now Irbad, remember, he was willing to try to assassinate the Prophet So what happens is that as they are traveling back, as they're traveling back, what ends up happening is that Amir bin At-Tufayl, he becomes very, very ill. He becomes very sick. And he's not able to travel forward. So there's a, a tribe of Banu Salul on the way back to their home. He becomes sick over there. And the narration specifically mentions that he develops like some type of like, um, you know, it just describes some type of affliction in his neck. Like it almost sounds like it's describing like some type of a tumor or something bulging out of his neck. And he's like scratching at it and peeling at it and he becomes sick there. So they put him up in the home of some woman uh, in Banu Salul. They put him there and he basically, you know, passes out and he becomes very, very sick, debilitatingly sick until he finally wakes up and he finds himself lying there in that home dying and he says, He says, I will die like a diseased camel 
Because again, I guess that little bulge in his neck that he was experiencing was something that would show up in camels when they were sick or they were diseased. So he says, I'm going to die like a sick animal, like a sick camel in the home of some random woman in Banu Salul. He says, no, 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 I can't die like this. And he somehow drags himself out of the home and he gets on top of his animal and he starts riding. And while he's riding on the animal, he dies and falls over and keels over and dies. And that's the end of Amr bin At-Tufayl. Because this man confronted the Prophet ﷺ, threatened the Prophet ﷺ. So this is how Allah dealt with him. The other man, Irbad bin Qais, who was willing to take part in the assassination, the attempted assassination of the Prophet ﷺ, it said about him that he continues on on his way, and he's traveling, and the narration mentions that he gets struck down. Like the narration mentions that it's almost like lightning strikes him. Lightning strikes him as he's walking and he just perishes. Like he's just destroyed on the spot. Again, it, all, it seems very obvious that this was some form of divine punishment. Right? That basically came down on him. And this is how both of these individuals perished. And when the news reached back to their uh, people, then you know the, the, they realized that both of these individuals died and, in, and, you know, and suffered such miserable deaths because of how they confronted the Prophet ﷺ. There's two things about this particular incident I wanted to mention. Number one is that it's very fascinating, just the narration uh, that is mentioned, that mentions the story is narrated by a sahabi of the Prophet ﷺ, who, um, whose name is Mawla, and, or Mawala. And this sahabi Mawala, it said that he was 20 years old when he became Muslim. And the Prophet ﷺ, he embraced Islam with the Prophet ﷺ, and he lived for a long time, like almost 80 years. Uh, after he lived to be a hundred years old, he he lived for eighty years after the Prophet ﷺ, and it said that he was called Dhul Lisanain because of how eloquent he was, and he narrates this particular incident. The other thing is that uh, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah Taala actually uh, very fascinatingly he describes that Allah subhanahu wa taala revealed verses. He revealed verses about this particular incident, Surah Ra'd. Surah number 13, ayahs 8 through 13 were revealed about this particular incident. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allahu ya'lamu ma tahmilu kullu untha, wa ma taghidhu al-arhamu, wa ma tazdadu, wa kullu shay'in indahu bi miqdar, alimu al-ghaybi wa shahadatil kabiru al-muta'al. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that God knows what every female bears, and how much their wounds shrink or swell, Everything has a specific measure given by Allah. In ayah number 9, Allah says, He knows what is not seen as well as what is seen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most great, the greatest. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most exalted, the highest. سَوَاءٌ مِّنْكُمْ مَنْ أَسَرَّ الْقَوْلَ وَمَنْ جَهَرَ بِهِ وَمَنْ هُوَ مُسْتَخْفٍ بِاللَّيْلِ وَسَارِمٌ بِالنَّهَارِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in ayah number 10, it makes no difference whether any of you speak secretly or aloud, whether you are hiding under the cover of night or walking about in the day. In ayah number 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَهُ مُعَقِّبَاتٌ مِّن بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِ يَحْفَظُونَهُ مِنْ أَمْرِ اللَّهِ 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in ayah number 11, each person has a guardian, has guardian angels before him and behind him, watching over him by God's command. God does not change. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not change the condition of a people until they change that which is within themselves. Allah does not change the condition of a people unless they change that which is within themselves. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِقَوْمٍ سُوءًا فَلَا مَرَدَّ لَهُ وَمَا لَهُمْ مِن دُونِهِ مِنْ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to say that, but if Allah wills harm on a people, no one can ward it off. No one can remove that harm from them. Apart from Allah, Apart from Allah, there is no protector. There is no protector other than Allah. In ayah number 12, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, هُوَ الَّذِي يُرِيكُمُ الْبَرْقَ خَوْفًا وَطَمَعًا وَيُنْشِئُ السَّحَابَ الثِّقَالِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the one who shows you the lightning, inspiring both fear and hope within you. Fear of a storm that might drown you or flood you, or hope of a rain that may bring you harvest and crop. He builds up the clouds heavy with rain. And then finally in ayah number 13, Allah says, وَيُسَبِّحُ الرَّعْدُ بِحَمْدِهِ وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ مِنْ خِيفَتِهِ وَيُرْسِلُ الصَّوَاعِقَ فَيُصِيبُ بِهَا مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَهُمْ يُجَادِلُونَ فِي اللَّهِ وَهُوَ شَدِيدُ الْمِحَالِ In ayah number 13, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to say, the thunder sounds the praises of Allah, as do the angels in awe of the majesty and the greatness of God. He sends thunderbolts to strike whomsoever he wills. Yet they still dispute about God. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a great plan. Alright? So this, these verses talked about this. That just as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dealt with these people, by sending down the lightning and incinerating that man where he was. And the other person, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala afflicted him with that, you know, that, that illness and he died from it. Because they opposed Allah, they disrespected the deen, and they confronted the Prophet ﷺ. They threatened the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And that is how they ultimately met their end. So that's the first incident and interaction I wanted to talk about. That from Banu Amir, unfortunately, these evil people, Amr bin Tufail and Irbad bin Qais, Allah, they both came, they tried to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ, but ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dealt with them. The Prophet ﷺ left them to Allah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dealt with them most severely. The next incident I wanted to talk about, the next delegation if you will, is a very, very beautiful one. It's a very positive one, it's a very beautiful one. And very honestly, without exaggeration, this is one of my favorite uh, moments from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. It's really a beautiful uh, story and a beautiful interaction. There's a profound lesson in it that I'd like to highlight here today. This particular incident is the story of the representative of the tribe known as Banu Sa'ad bin Bakr. Banu Sa'ad bin Bakr. Banu Sa'ad bin Bakr was a Bedouin tribe and they sent the leader of their tribe. And the leader of their tribe, his name was Dimam ibn Tha'laba. Dimam ibn 
Thalaba. And his story is actually quite fascinating. Uh, I'll kind of tell you something here on the front end um, that I'll tell you two things here on the front end. Number one, Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he says, فَمَا سَمِعْنَا بِوَافِدِ قَوْمٍ كَانَ أَفْضَلْ مِنْ ضِمَامِ بِنْ ثَعْلَبَةً The best representative any tribe sent during that entire year of Amul Ufud when all the delegations came to meet with the Prophet ﷺ and to accept Islam, the best delegate that any tribe sent was Dhimam bin Thalibah. Dhimam was the best delegate that came that year. Right? So it's quite fascinating what makes him so remarkable. And the second thing I'll tell you is Anas in the narration uh, of Imam Ahmad, Anas bin Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, Kunna nuhina an nas ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an shay'in. He says something very interesting. He says, those of us who are more senior companions, we had been Muslim for 10 years and even longer. We eventually were taught etiquette. We were taught some etiquette with the Prophet sallallahu That we were told to not incessantly question the Prophet sallallahu now, there's a balance here. The balance is, of course, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ ذِكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ If you have a very serious question, then ask your question, of course. You can ask a question that is serious. But you know, at the same time, you know, sometimes you just have like a lot of curiosity that builds up. And you just keep asking question after question after question, right? Just non-stop. So he said, many of us, particularly some of us younger companions, we just like, if we were just given a, 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 you know, open season, if it was open season was declared, if we were just given uh, free reign, we would have pretty much just asked questions 24 hours a day. But we were taught that we need to be considerate of the Prophet ﷺ. We need to also have some etiquette. Right, the Prophet ﷺ, the Quran says, لا تسلوا عن أشياء إن لكم تسؤكم. Think about the questions you're asking, because you might ask a question where you might actually make things more difficult for yourself. Right, like the story of the cow in Bani Israel, of Banu Israel in Surah Al-Baqarah, where they just keep on incessantly asking questions, being somewhat facetious and disrespectful. They kept asking questions and kept making their own lives more and more difficult. Right. So we were told to be a little, eventually, tarbiyah was given to us to be a little bit more considerate and a little bit more thoughtful and deliberate about our questions. That doesn't mean you can't ask a question if you have a serious question, but nevertheless we were told to be a little bit more, um, you know, thoughtful about our questions. So he says, because we were taught this and we used to be very cautious, we would think our questions over, we would discuss them with each other before we presented them to the Prophet ﷺ. So he says, that's why we used to be very excited when some of these Bedouin people from the villages would come and they would ask the Prophet some questions. And a lot of times they were like country people, villagers, Bedouins. So they sometimes were a little rough around the edges. They weren't very sophisticated people. And so sometimes they would ask questions and they would sometimes even ask really, really kind of like silly questions. So we used to enjoy it when they would visit because we would listen to how the Prophet ﷺ would answer all of their questions. So he says, فَجَاءَ رَجُلٌ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْبَادِيَةِ So he says, one day a man came from the villages 
And he asked the Prophet ﷺ a series of questions. And then he narrates the story of Dima bin Thalaba. So as I mentioned, they say one of the best delegates that ever came was Dimam. And it was also fascinating when these Bedouins and villagers would come and ask questions because of how they would ask questions. So Dimam is a very interesting guy. The narration mentions he rode into town and Dimam is described as being a humongous man. He was huge. Very tall, big and broad. And he had like long hair, such long hair that he had braided his hair into two big braids falling over his shoulders. So he's like, like, you know, almost like if you need to kind of visualize something, imagine what like a Viking, right? When they kind of like show you like a Viking, giant dude riding on a camel, long hair braided on his shoulders and he's riding into town. And he says, وَأَنَاخَ بَعِيرَهُ عَلَى بَابِ الْمَسْجِدِ He rode his camel all the way till the door of the masjid, the, the front of the masjid, and he sat his camel down, he parked his car like right in front of the door. So it seems kind of obnoxious, but it's just, he didn't know any better. They're just village people, Bedouin people. Right, so he just parks his camel right there, in the door of the masjid and he walks in. And when he walks in, the Prophet ﷺ was sitting with the companions. And he just walks in and he says, Ayyukum ibn Abdul Muttalib. Which of you, which of y'all is the grandson of Abdul Muttalib? Just shouts. And the Prophet ﷺ shouts back, Anabnu Abdul Muttalib. I am the grandson of Abdul Muttalib. Now the Prophet ﷺ wasn't being confrontational. But this was just the idea that the Prophet ﷺ knew how to talk to people. These are villager people, Bedouin people, that's how they spoke. So the Prophet ﷺ spoke to him in the language they understand. That's me, right here. And then he says, Ya Muhammad? Are you Muhammad? And he says, Naam, yes, that's me. What do you want? So the man says, Okay, Ya Yabna Abdul Muttalib, Inni sa'iluka wa mughallidun alayka fil mas'ala. He says, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And I will be very harsh in how I ask questions. Don't take it personally, it's nothing personal. The Prophet said, I don't take things personally. You see how he's talking to him? Because he's a Bedouin man, that's how they, that's how they operate. He said, ask your questions. Ask, what do you want to ask? He says, أَنْشُدُوكَ اللَّهَ إِلَهَكَ وَإِلَهَ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكَ وَإِلَهَ مَنْ هُوَ كَائِنٌ بَعْدَكَ But see, the Bedouins were also like all about like, you know, very overt speech and things like that. They were very dramatic people. That's the best way to summarize it. They're very dramatic people. So he says, I ask you in the name of God, your Lord, and the Lord of those who came before you, and the Lord of everything that exists before you. Allahu ba'athaka ilayna rasula. Did God send you as a messenger to us? And the Prophet says, Allahumma na'am. By Allah, yes. That's it. He says, فَأَنْشُدُكَ اللَّهَ إِلَهَكَ وَإِلَهَ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكَ وَإِلَهَ مَنْ هُوَ كَائِنٌ بَعْدَكَ I ask you in the name of God, your Lord, and the Lord of everyone before you, and the Lord of everyone that will come after you. Allahu amaraka. أَن تَأْمُرُنَا أَن نَعْبُدَهُ أَن نَعْبُدَهُ وَحْدَهُ وَلَا نُشْرِكَ بِهِ شَيْئًا وَأَن نَخْلَعَ هَذِهِ الْأَنْدَادِ الَّتِي كَانَ آبَاؤُنَا يَعْبُدُونَ So dramatic. 
And again, he says all that again, right? I ask you in the name of God, your Lord and Lord of the people came before you and after you. Did God command you? Did God tell you to tell us to only worship him and associate no partners with him? And that we abandon these idols, these deities that we have worshipped until now that our forefathers used to worship. And the Prophet says, Allahumma na'am. Yes. Then again, he launches into that whole style. I ask you in the name of God, your Lord and the Lord of those before you and the Lord of those after you. Did God command you to tell us to pray five times a day? The Prophet says, yes. And then he mentioned each of the pillars of the religion in the same dramatic way. I ask you in the name of God, your Lord, and the Lord of those before you, and the Lord of all those after you. Did God command you to tell us to fast in the month of Ramadan? Then to give zakat, to do hajj, so on and so forth. And he mentions all the rules of Islam, all the faraid, all the obligations. The Prophet ﷺ keeps responding, Yes, 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 in, by Allah, yes, in the name of God, yes, in the name of God, yes, in the name of God, yes. He responds in the affirmative. When he was finally done, he says, فَإِنِّي أَشْهَدُ أَلَّا إِلَهِ اللَّهِ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Then I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship except for God. And I bear witness that Muhammad is a messenger of God. And I further make the commitment that I will fulfill all these obligations that I have spoken to you about. And I will refrain from the prohibited things that you have prohibited. And then he says, And I will do nothing more, nor nothing less. Meaning I will do the obligations, I'll stay away from the things that are haram. Handful of obligations, handful of haram. Gambling, wine, killing, fornication, stealing. Handful of haram, handful of obligations. Fara'id, salah, siyam, zakat, hajj. Right? And he says, لا أزيد ولا أنقص. I will do no more, and I will do no less. Meaning I will not be deficient, I'll respect these things, but I'm not gonna do more. That's just not me. I'm just gonna do the basics, and that's it. And then he says that, ثُمَّنْ صَرَفَ إِلَىٰ بَعِيرِهِ رَاجِعًا He turns around and he starts walking away. And the narration mentions that as he's walking away, he's shaking his finger in the air like this. And he says, لَا أَزِيدُ وَلَا أَنْقُسْ لَا أَزِيدُ وَلَا أَنْقُسْ Again, like I told you, these Bedouin people, a lot of times they're very dramatic. No more, no less. No more, no less. And he's just walking away saying that. And he gets on his camel and he starts to ride away. And the Prophet ﷺ says, In sadaqa dhul aqisataini dakhla al jannah. This man with the two braids, if he has spoken the truth, that he will respect the obligations and he will stay away from the prohibited things, he will focus on his basics and lock them down, he will go to paradise. In sadaqa dhul aqisataini dakhla al jannah. Now, the, the story, the narration, it goes on. When he reaches back to his tribe, he gathers all of them together, and he talks to them, and he says to all of them, that, إِنِّي أَشْهَدُ أَلَّا إِلَهِ اللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ I have accepted 
that there's no one worthy of worship except for Allah, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. وَقَدْ جِئْتُكُمْ مِنْ عِنْدِهِ بِمَا أَمْرَكُمْ بِهِ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ And I have brought from Muhammad, the messenger of Allah, some things you must do, and some things you must stay away from. And then he says, in the narration says, فَوَاللَّهِ مَا أَمْسَى مِنْ ذَلِكَ الْيَوْمِ فِي حَاضِرِهِ رَجُلٌ وَلَا إِمْرَأَةً إِلَّا مُسْلِمًا by that evening, his entire tribe of Banu Sa'ad bin Bakr had become Muslim. He converted the entire tribe. And that is why Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he says that that was the best delegate that any tribe sent. He was so strange, almost bizarre. Giant man parks his camel inside the masjid. Walks up to the Prophet yelling, Hey, who's Muhammad? And then he like, you know, he comes on so strong, he's so dramatic, I'm gonna ask you tough questions. And then he's so dramatic, and then he walks away saying, no more, no less, no more, no less. But this man was so sincere. He was so sincere. And he was so committed. Simple, by all accounts, it's fair to call such a man simple, but sincere. Right? It's the quality of the person. It's the quality of your heart. It's the quality of your faith. We get tied up in being sophisticated and fancy and you know we obsess over intellectualism and you know all the bells and whistles and we're so sometimes vain and superficial and obsessed with these things but here's the example of a very simple man but he's so sincere that the Prophet ﷺ, another hadith and narration Bukhari and Muslim the Prophet ﷺ says لَإِن صَدَقَ لَيَدْخُلَنَّ الْجَنَّةِ if this man has spoken the truth, if he'll follow through with these basics, he shall go to paradise. And by all accounts, every single account that we have is exactly that. That he did stay committed to this. And he did live a faithful life. And he converted his entire tribe to Islam. Another narration of Bukhari, he says, Amantu bima bihi." I believe I have accepted, I have believed in what you came with, O Muhammad and what you were sent with. And I am a representative of my people. And I am Dhimam, the son of Tha'laba, Akhu Bani Sa'ad ibn Bakr. I am an a member of the tribe of Banu Sa'ad bin Bakr. And he went back and converted his entire tribe to Islam and brought them all to Islam. So, these are, I wanted to present this contrast. You had somebody who came to the Prophet ﷺ, who was very, who thought, who was very smart and intellectual and strategic and sharp and conniving and came and negotiated and, and, and confronted. And look where it led that person. He died like a miserable sick animal in the middle of the desert by himself. And on the other hand, you had a simple Bedouin man who didn't even understand basic etiquette of leaving your animal outside the masjid. But he was sincere, and he was devout, and he was respectful. In his own way, he was respectful. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with guidance.
with Iman. And not only that, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him Jannah on the tongue of the Prophet ﷺ. If this man has spoken the truth, he has entered paradise. Imagine the Prophet ﷺ saying that about you. And further, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him the means of converting his entire tribe to Islam. And we're sitting here till today talking about him. Radiallahu anhu. May Allah be pleased with him. So with that, inshaAllah, I'll conclude uh, today's session. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us sincerity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us people of quality. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to internalize our iman. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be respectful of the Prophet ﷺ in our deen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to observe the obligations of the religion. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from the people of paradise. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasaghfiru wa natubu ilayhi.